The How To Academy podcast is the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. They host exclusive in-depth interviews with world-leading scholars, artists, scientists, and entrepreneurs, exploring new ideas for understanding and changing our world. Past guests include Bill Clinton, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elizabeth Gilbert, Daniel Kahneman, Marina Abramovich, Malcolm Gladwell, Michael Lewis, Joyce Carol Oates, Gabor Mate, Chelsea Manning, and many more. That's the How To Academy podcast, to the word, not the numeral, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Welcome to Artificiality, the podcast from Helen and Dave Edwards from Sonder Studio. We created Sonder Studio to empower humans in our complex age of machines, data, and AI. Through our strategy, innovation, and change services, we help organizations activate the collective intelligence of humans and AI. We work with leaders in tech, data, and analytics to co-create AI strategies, design innovative AI products and services, and craft change management programs that help their people succeed in an AI-powered, data-centric, complex world. We leverage the new world of foundation models, generative AI, and low-code environments to create an amplified human-machine experience centered on machines that can be a mine for our minds. You can learn more about us at GetSonder.com. Welcome back to Artificiality. Uh, Before we get going this week, we'd like to uh, uh, basically put out an offer or a request. It's It's an invite, It's an invitation, true, to anyone who's uh, part of our listening group to join us in helping us craft a new product from Artificiality. Um, We're looking for people who help us give some feedback, give some reactions, give us some ideas um, for some new paid products coming from us. So if you're interested, please reach out. You can find us in lots of ways. The easiest, just send us an email at hello at getsonder.com. The obvious being that if you do that, you get the free, the paid stuff for free. Yes, that would be, yeah, that would probably be good as you the invitation. That, right? I, 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 that, yeah, the punchline of the invitation, yeah. H- help us out and get something free um, uh, while you're doing it and uh, get to spend a little uh, extra time with us, which we think is great because we spend time with ourselves all the time. So, <laughs> All right, so this week um, we're here to talk about culture. We're yeah. still digging into Mind for Our Minds. We are. We're thinking about Mind for Our Minds, and um, you'll be able to find a written companion to this podcast coming out shortly. Um, but why don't you start off and give us, uh, give us some, some of your thoughts on culture and Sonder. Okay. Well, this is something that I, a little thought experiment to run. So imagine that you're standing somewhere that's, that you know that's really busy. You know, I always think of like... Grand Central Station because it's such an incredible space and you stand there and you watch all of those people coming and going and you you wonder you know you take a moment to wonder um, what are their inner lives and their inner thoughts and their idiosyncrasies and their worries and concerns and hopes their idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies shout out to some friends in New Zealand um, and you have this the you, you you have this moment where you're kind of overcome with this feeling of the realization that all of these people have rich inner lives as rich as yours, right? So that is Sonder. And that Sonder is almost this sort of meta-empathy, keeps us loyal to being human. Um, 
and uh, that's why we still ground our brand and and Sonda. Um, it's a very meaningful way of thinking about humans, I think. Um, but when you start talking about when you when you don't want to use the word Sonda because people haven't heard of it so much, you know, we talk about culture, and culture has a slightly different meaning. And like everything with AI these days, the more we try and really hone in on what a word means, like creativity or um, in this case, culture, and think about what it means to have machines do those things too or be involved in those things too, suddenly that um, crisp thought that you had about what you think it means starts to sort of kind of evaporate, you know, it kind of slips away from your fingers. And I think culture is doing that at the moment, that as we, um, as we watch each other use ChatGPT or other generative AI, especially the, the, the um, f- you know, fabulous imagery that sort of starts to express things that we want to create, these cultural artifacts of images and what have you. Culture becomes this, huh, well, was that made by a human or was that made by a machine? And it starts to sort of almost twist around and, and play with that definition. So I think that, you know, what we've, what we've done with thinking about mind for our minds and culture is to start pulling apart what um, what the technology means when it's embedded in our culture. It is a cultural technology. It gives us access to the the expertise of of all the humans that have participated in the training data, which is some people say parasitic, we say kind of stolen, <laughs> but nevertheless useful and available for us. So we've got to. And, and a cultural technology isn't just what a product does. A cultural technology is where is takes into account the origins of that technology. You know, where where did it come from? Why did it come from? Where it came from? Um, what what came inherent with it? Um, how does it change us as we use it? How do we pass it on to other people? How do we pass on things that we learn and use in that technology ourselves as individuals? How do we connect that up with the way other people use it? Um, how does it uh, inspire us or suppress us? There's, uh, how do we adapt to it as we adopt it is probably the kind of key thing to think about with a cultural technology. Um, and we're seeing that rapidly, especially with ChatGPT, um, but with all the generative AI technologies, is we change as we adopt it. I find it the the thought process that we often talk about is, you know, as the human species evolved, we specialized, and that created great power. But one of the challenges was how do you actually continue to get along, you know, when you have these great specialties and these sort of in, in some ways, gaps between each other. And one of the reasons you and I enjoy working together so much is that our brains work really quite differently. And so there's a quite, you know, there's a specialization that we get to, that we get to enjoy. And we come together through culture, through rituals, through stories, through art, through all kinds of experiences that bring us together. And I think that that, that's that sort of through line is what's so powerful to me in thinking about 
generative AI as a cultural technology because it is different from previous technologies, as we've talked about with, you know, with Mind for Our Minds. These aren't tools. You didn't really have a need a new storyline to figure out how to come together to use a hammer, you know, or you know, and any of other sort of tools. You know, maybe there are some things with some, but it's not really the sort of a cultural technology. Well, even with you know what we now call traditional AI yeah. slash predictive analytics, there's no. I mean, the closest we got to to stories there really were around um, bias and ethics and responsible AI. Sure. And the the stories that came up from um, you know people who weren't treated fairly in that process. Um, but these new technologies create and contribute unique new cultural artifacts, as you say, right? So new stories, new new um, pieces of art. Um, and the question then becomes, how does that become part of our culture? What new rituals do we need to have with these technologies or among ourselves while each of us are using these technologies so that we still are brought together as a culture and not pushed apart? And I wonder how much we're the world is just rushing towards using the tools, right? It's the fastest growing digital service ever. 100 million people start using these things within a few months. And we don't truly understand what it means to come together using them. Um, they're very sort of isolating tools in some ways, or they are isolated because we're using them alone. And when you start introducing people and work through, well, each of you now have some output of chat GPT, I'm not quite sure what to do with that in terms of the, the ritual of how to come together with it. Well, the ritual at the moment is that everyone's talking about it. I guess um, that's true. You know, that, that, that it is the, the discussion Including of the us. day. And, well, yeah, but that's, that's, our, that's <laughs> our day job and our night job. <laughs> that's what we talk about. It, and, I mean, I think I take, I take what you, I mean, Peter Sterling, who we interviewed on the podcast a couple of years ago, I guess, brought to, to our consciousness the idea of, of um, the, the, as we specialised that others became um, we could we could think and, and operate and access the expertise of others and act as a community, do things that you couldn't as individuals, our mm -hmm. social species. But it came with a flip side, which was um, we become, others are more foreign and uh, we need rituals and I think he called them sacred practices, which are anything to their stories, their, their you know, funerals, their art, um, their, that bring us together again bring us back together again and resolve those sort of the psychological stress of seeing others as more foreign. Um, but the funny thing about um, that, I mean, not all of these technologies feel the same to use, right? Sometimes, and not even, they don't even feel the same to use it, it, it within themselves. You know, there's a lot of variation. Sometimes you can pull up ChatGPT or Bing or Bard and it feels um, very foreign because it's so clearly acting as an AI today. I'm a large language model, I can't help you with that or whatever. And then other times it can feel completely um, cohesive with your own mind because it's put something in front of you that was exactly what you were thinking, you just couldn't quite land it yourself. Mm. Um, so I think all of these, 
what were easy easy distinctions to make between humans and machines? Well, you know, humans are creative, machines are not. You know, that's obviously one that that people are um, really started to question in the last six months. Is culture becomes another one where there's no bright line between what a what what human culture is and what human culture is with machines. The 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 struggle right now is all the design is for individual use. Mm. There isn't collaborative use uh, and that is something that I think remains um, uh, beyond our grasp to truly imagine that yet we've actually got to and that's one of the reasons why we say like what everyone says the only way you can learn these things is to use them you have to develop your own mental model and your own machine intuition for how you like to use these tools What's fun? What takes more time? You know, what have been easier just to do yourself? What what's um, a process of discovery that you go through yourself? So I think we're in a very individualistic phase of using these tools, and we we almost have to go through that before we know how to use them across the culture. That's why talking about them and having stories about them and talking about everything from the existential risk of AI down to like some tiny little bot that's, you know, someone's just sort of, you know, pulled, <laughs> just just made off the uh, in half an hour. Everything along that whole stack is actually important to talk about. Um Maybe the one thing that we shouldn't spend too much time on right now is machine consciousness. But, you know, we should, it's really that whole stack that we should all be talking about um, so that we do develop more stories around what it means to, to have these machines integrated with our, with our thinking. Question for you, which is around sort of the documentation of culture and the history of culture. So we have... Um, you know, an increasing and but an you know, increasing history of documenting our human culture in books and arts and in stories. You know, and and we're at this break point now where the documentation is now starting to grow and build. That's coming out of the machine, and I wonder what you think about what that means for fast forward ten years or twenty years or fifty years, and what it means to think about the accumulation of culture that has brought us together when so much of the new documentation that will be sort of, I guess, is part of our culture is going to be dominant, but dominantly um, uh, or predominantly, you know, uh, generated by machines. Um, well, there's, let's think about that in a couple of different ways because um, I think I understand what you're asking. On one hand, that's good because it was a very clumsy question. Yeah, well, <laughs> go back and ask that question again. Um, so, on one hand, you've got uh, some interesting research that's relatively recent, but you'd because yeah, everything's recent about um, the recursive nature of of training models on things that they've already written. So, yeah. um, I, and researchers have called it model collapse, where basically you. Um, the, the sort of long tail of the distribution just goes away. So this idea that you need humans to come in and creatively refresh everything that's online. Um, maybe. Uh, you can see that. You, you can definitely see that. I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, mm. But uh, we have so much derivative content already that comes from humans. So it's more... Um, 
that starts to get to, well, what's truly novel and what's truly creative and who's going to, to, to do that? So what does our culture end up you – know, creativity ends up being almost the sort of cultural definition. Like is it, is it valuable because it's new or is it valuable because it's human? Um, is it valuable because it comes from a machine and a human couldn't possibly see those correlations in such monstrous dimensions? So I think it's going to challenge all our words – yeah. Well, because if, if you think about stories and art being two core parts of our culture that bring us together, if machines become uh, the ones that make more and more, and some point, some majority of the stories and the art, then is it just that the machines are bringing us together through culture? Is it the machine? I mean, we're directing this to at least at, at, you know for now, but how much, what does that do to our culture when the machines are the ones that are creating the artifacts that bring us together. And I, I'm not sure what the answer is to that. It well, some of it depends on your, you know, your, mm. what, you, what you define as culture. To me, culture is, uh, is the, the expertise of the whole of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but to others, culture is um, more, a more specific definition around a particular culture, sure. like a company culture. Mm. So... Um, the way that these technologies will get used in a um, progressive, um, open, diverse culture, of if that's the company culture, will be really different than if it's a culture that is um, not collaborative, highly siloed, values internal competition. They the cultures will be the the technologies will be used differently, and so that's one of the. You can. There's so many. There's so much journalism at the moment about the use cases for generative AI and so use it for this and marketing and blah blah blah. And and then that that people take that and and um, uh, extend that to extrapolate that to what it will do to those jobs. Well, depends. Mm. It's a cultural technology. It's going to depend on what the leaders in those companies and, and what people in those companies choose to do with this it's a it's always a choice and I think that's um that's an under discussed dimension of this right now because there's an overarching cultural narrative about humans being kind of slow and but unreliable and but lazy or whatever you know that not good decision makers compared to machines so the cultural narrative is um, to uh, be better, faster, cheaper with machines, which is fine. You know, we, we all want cheaper products and better products and what have you, and we all want to, you know, spend more time doing more human-level tasks, whatever that kind of means, because we still, we're still unpicking that these days. Um, and I think that, that that's, that's, therein lies the, the detail that within each and every company that has a different kind of cultural spin on this, they'll value different aspects of how this technology is used. There's something sort of a technology history trend, you know, I like these things, um, that that sort of feels like, we, we've talked in the past about how computers move from, you know, the, the machine room to the desktop to the pocket, you know, and to, you know, to now on your wrist or whatever, getting closer and closer. But there's something that's about what we've used these tools for that's getting closer and closer. 
you know, like the 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 the, the, the desktop used to be a bit of a an outsourced memory. That's where you'd sort of store things that you could go access periodic when you wanted. The phones become the way we communicate with others. We can sit and text each other when we're in different rooms in the house rather than walking Or the across. same room. Or the same room. <laughs> Sometimes to have conversations that the children can't hear. Um, and But now we're using these generative AI tools to, to actually create things. And that feels... I find my body sort of going, that's getting closer and closer to like my soul and who I am, that, that you know, these tools have become that. And there is something that is very, um, that does have a, you know, it, each of these waves of computing have created new cultures for the people who were using them, mm. right? So there was the you know, initial wave of people who were you know, white-collar workers using PCs at work. That goes back a long time. Then there's the people who were spending a lot of time online, and they were you know, the first people who were actually really working in the Internet, and then the digital natives and the mobile natives, and now there's going to be the Gen AI natives, I'm sure, right? But they create new groups and new cultures, and you're either part of that group or you're, you see that group as, as an other, you know, as another group that you're not quite sure how to, that you don't necessarily find the same cultural bonding. And that's going to be interesting to see what happens here. I mean, this culture, this new culture of people who are using generative AI is um, remarkably large in such a short period of time. And I wonder, and it is very accelerative. Sure, and and it's um and it's and it's fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's really that you know don't that some of these early productivity figures, you know, and speed on bits and pieces, how how fast you can generate a social media post or yeah. you know a new code or whatever. Though that's the tip of the iceberg in terms of of um, what really matters because that's what we can measure today. Mm. Uh, but what really matters is is as these things are uh, more broadly used, and as um, you know, does it really? What does it do? Does it put? Does it pull the bottom up, or does it ascend the top, accelerating even further to create an even um, sort of more unequal cultural divide between those who really understand the technology and those who don't? You know, and there's a lot of what seemed like science fiction in terms of the the cyborg human um, is actually much more. Uh, easy to see now for a variety of reasons, including all of the sort of brain neuro um, uh, device and neurometric kind of work that's going on. But um, and it's interesting that you talk about the 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 cultural. We started out talking about humans as a species, um, and uh, Hannah Critchlow alerted me in, uh, to some really interesting research that was done. Um, recently by the uh, Royal Society that uh, came out with a, a sort of an overarching conclusion that our, our cultural evolution is now faster than our genetic evolution. Mm. And our cultural choices are driving um, uh, our, our evolution faster than our genes. Isn't that incredible? It is. Um, and there's a, I think the example that was, that was given in the research was how uh, Caesarean section is now um, that that a daughter born by Caesarean section now has a higher chance of of having to have a Caesarean section when she has her own children herself, which I think is just the most extraordinary piece of data. And if you extend that to these um, this particular style of AI, where we can 
think quite differently and we can learn different skills faster or we can um, uh, access the knowledge of humanity just so naturally and so in such a combinatorially um, satisfying way, the way we can mix and match ideas, that what we think of as creativity and what we think of as as change and decision making is is going to be profoundly different. And those who move faster on this um, could become quite culturally different. Hmm. They sure could. I think it's um, the interesting question is how to move quickly and how to actually because the quickly is not necessarily, you know. Um, Becoming the expert prompter. Oh no, it's it's, it's kind of, what's that old saying? Like more speed, less haste. Yes, <laughs> right. This came up in the conversation we were having yesterday. Um, that um, uh, we were talking about uh, this sort of speed with which that these systems can create things, like a social media post. And one of the disconnects that I find is that it outputs it so quickly that it's almost too fast, right? And I'm not sure what's happening for me on a neuroscience level that I'm sort of, it's like, whoa, that's too much that happened too quickly in response to my question. I need a little bit more time to anticipate and predict what I think might happen. Well, that's what I was kind of getting at. I mean, um, the the, the, the gurus of thinking through um, what happens with AI and decision-making, Agrawal and Et al. Um, that you know, they talk about, and, and we adopt this a lot because it's an incredibly useful tool. That decisions are um, predictions plus judgment, and in our head, those two go together. And now, when we use uh, the in, everyone using these tools, that that process of the prediction, which is like what you think about something, which is suddenly appears on the screen, whether it's an image or a or a paragraph, that is um, that used to be happen in the same moment in your head. It's like, that's good, that's bad, that's this, that's that, that's creative, that's not. Now the prediction is put up in the screen in front of you and um, when you're using, say, mid-journey, you're sitting there going, oh, what's going to come up with, what's going to come up with? Oh, I make a judgment. Uh, but with ChatGPT, it's so fast, mm. um, if it's a small, easy query, and you're, uh, and you have to, you, you're startled, you instantly have to judge it. And what you thought you were asking for, that prediction, if it's off or it's on, you're making that, that judgment. And I think that that's quite disruptive. It can be quite exciting. It can be quite fun. Um, it can also be frustrating. And, uh, but you, you, you're much more aware of your judgment now hmm. because it's separated out in your mind. Um, that speed of communication is fascinating. Like there's... Because the, the opposite side of it is there was the experiment that we ran um, for one of our clients in the workshop. We were showing off Soul Machines, right? Which is, a, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's an avatar system is the best way I like to describe it. They talk them, I think they describe themselves now as digital humans or digital people. I can't remember what their phrase is now. Um, but they're, it's remarkable visually, you know, you should definitely check it out. But they've now allowed the your avatar to access the GPT API. And what was really um, sort of confusing is that the way the API is working today um, and is that you have to package the entire question that you that you're asking 
send it to the API, and then the API responds with an entire response, and then it comes back. And what it means is there's this long delay talking to your avatar. You ask a question that has to be recorded, sent to the API, an entire response has to be generated, which can be as long as you allow it to be in terms of the, the way you design your avatar. And then it comes back and then starts speaking. And it's so strange that I have these two opposite experiences. One, where everything is entirely too slow and it's very strange. And then other times things are entirely too fast and it's really strange. But it is, it's sort of, I don't know what that means for a future of culture. I mean, perhaps there's some lesson learned that in, when we were both growing up, the only way we communicated at a distance was, you know, there was the telephone, but other than that, you're writing, you're writing a letter and you sent it off and it took a couple of days to get there and then somebody took a few days to think about it and then a couple of days to come back and then you got a response. And now you fire off an email and all of a sudden the response is there and you're like, oh, I really don't want to respond yet again. <laughs> you know? Well, we're all you know, recalibrating, so we're recalibrating all of these things all of the yeah. time. And, you know, we're recalibrating what we think is true. Mm-hmm. We're recalibrating what we think is machine generated. Um, that, that recalibration is happening pretty fast. Doesn't mean we're immune from, you know, being fooled by a, a, a deep fake. Not at all. Yeah. But um, I think that that our ability to recalibrate and to move to the next stage in this journey is pretty fast and that's one of the reasons why we you know we we advocate so much learning and hands-on and having someone and working in a team with this not just sort of being um isolated and 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 not being honest about using it at work for example you it's the the more that um you as and your teams are, are using these technologies and being really clear about it and saying, hey, well, this is what this said. You know, why don't we make this the starting point? Oh, I don't agree with that. I mean, it's there's so many ways that it accelerates some of the, the um, more difficult s- sort of early starting blank page, writer's block, you know, whatever you want to put it. That, that's a common experience. Sure. Um, I've often wondered whether it's called mid-journey because it gets you to the mid-journey of the creative process. <laughs> I like that. I think we picked that up from Jonathan Colton. Yeah. So um, anyway, so this is great. Um, before we close off, just want to highlight for listeners that we have expanded what we do on artificiality. Uh, and if you haven't noticed, please go to artificiality.substack.com. We're back writing, which is great fun. And we're also adding in video interviews with uh, AI entrepreneurs and innovators that we're posting up on YouTube. And you can access all of this through Substack. And uh, at the moment, we're sending out one email a week that has the content and all the links to it. Um, and by popular to... request, I'm actually making an effort to put up all my book yes. reviews. <laughs> by popular request, meaning me saying please. Oh, no, there's a lot of other people, other people. say, what are you reading yes, right exactly. now? Yes, <laughs> exactly. So it's true. So Helen's also posting a book recommendation once a week, which is fantastic. So, and at the moment, we're sending out one email to spare people's inboxes, looking for feedback on that. So if people want to get it more often, please let us know too. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks very much. And uh, we'll be back in your ears again in a week. Happy 4th. Happy 4th of July. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe on Substack or your favorite podcast platform. And please leave a positive reading or comment. Sharing your positive feedback helps us reach more people and connect them with the world's great minds. Seriously, a review on Apple Podcasts is a big deal. 
And if you like how we think, then contact us about our speaking and workshops and human-centered product design. You can learn more about us at GetSonder.com, and you can contact us at hello at GetSonder.com. You can learn more about making better decisions in our book, Make Better Decisions, How to Improve Your Decision-Making in the Digital Age. The book is an essential guide to practicing the cognitive skills needed for making better decisions in the age of data, algorithms, and AI. Please check it out at mbd.zone, on Amazon, bookshop.org, or place an order through your favorite local bookstore. Spilling sound stage.